0: Well, God, I just pray again that you would um, teach us this morning, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. Um, Lord, I pray that you would just uh, continue to speak to us. And as we open your word this morning, God, that that the the words would come alive um, through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, so this is actually our last day in the book of Acts. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back to the book of Acts in the fall. So we're going to close out um, the book of Acts today in Acts 10 um, before we take a break. Next week, we're starting a question series, um, which we have some good ones coming up next week. We had some questions about uh, women in the church and different things. It's going to be—I'm going to feel like I'm on the hot seat a little bit. So I want you to be here for that. Um, I think it will be really good. And it's really like you guys ask some very honest questions, and I think that's awesome. So— I'm excited to get started with that next week, and we'll do that for three weeks. Um, But today we're going to. safety that was a no-no and also for a camp that was like state-funded that was a no-no I was afraid oh no not only like is this unsafe we could lose our license and I imagine just the worst camp shutting down and so I called uh, I called and asked okay what um, what fencing are you guys gonna use and they said we don't have a plan for fencing uh, but if you want we can put some cones out I'm like cones are not going to stop our kids, okay? They're not going to be deferred by cones. We need a fence. And surprisingly, it took, like, two conversations before they finally put a fence up and I could breathe and sleep at night. Um, But, but yeah, like, sometimes we need that fencing. We need that wall. And when God was establishing his people in the Old Testament, he put up some serious fencing called the Old Covenant. See, God's desire for his people is that they would be different than the nations around them. And so in order for them to be different, God put up fencing, God put up his law, his fencing around his people, and he told them, don't be like the nations around you, the nations like uh, the Canaanite, nations that worshipped Baal and Molech. Molech was a God that, that people would actually take their kids and sacrifice their kids to. He said, don't be like those nations. I want you to be different. And so God's heart for his people under that old covenant would that, would that they would be his people and he would be their God and that he would, he would set the fences, the, the rules um, for what they could do. And the point was, because they lived differently, He was a Moabite and so it didn't have anything to do with that. It had everything to do with drifting towards idols, drifting towards other gods. He doesn't want Israel to cozy up to the false gods of their neighbors. And this would happen if you have a wife or husband who is literally bringing idols into your house. He wanted to preserve his people as a light to the nations. And, of course, the the struggle that we have when we read the Old Testament is they fail again and again and again. And we see God's grace again and again and again. He doesn't wipe them off the face of the earth when they fail. He continues to have compassion. He continues to stay with them. Um, Even they fail, and it's this repetitive cycle again and again and again. And it's frustrating because it's like they don't learn. their obedience is always temporary. It's always good for a little while and then it fades away. And so because of that, those laws and experiences, we're going to fast forward to Acts. um, The Jewish people at this time distanced themselves from those outside their faith. Um, They distanced themselves from other creeds, other races. Um, They made a point not to mix with Gentiles non-Jews in any meaningful way. And again, it wasn't supposed to be about ethnicity at all. It was supposed to be about the danger of idolatry. And so they were a fairly closed community. And here in Acts 10, what we see is that um, the, the, the movement of Jesus, the people of Jesus, at that point, it had just kind of stayed mainly within the Jewish circle. The people who had the backstory, the people who knew, um, had this journey with God already, um, they were the ones that were mainly responding uh, to the gospel. And it wasn't until the Holy Spirit, like, specifically pushed people <laughs> outside of that wall that they started to reach out to Gentiles. Um, you see it first with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and then we're going to see it here again with Peter and a Roman military officer named Cornelius. And it's in this story that God shows us that the walls that once existed have been torn down. So we're going to start today in Acts 10, uh, verse 1. It says this. It says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, And gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of the Lord come in and say, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner. Whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. And so Cornelius here, he's an outsider. He's an outsider. They say he's part of an Italian cohort, meaning he's from Italy. And so growing up in Italy, he probably grew up with the Roman pantheon of gods, and those were the gods that that he probably worshipped growing up. But having been assigned to Israel, he discovered the God of Israel. He discovered the God of the Jewish people, and this curiosity that he had developed into a full-blown allegiance to God. And it says he feared God, meaning that he lived in this reality that God is God and he was not. And he led his entire household to fear God. It also says he gave generously. That was like this fruit of what he had done is that he actually gave um, generously to others. He, uh, that was like the fruit of what uh, God was doing in him. So it makes a point to talk about his generosity. And it says that he prayed continually. Like, he never stopped being in conversation with God. He talked to God all day long. And we see that it's it's amazing. In the Bible, there's a centurion soldiers mentioned three times, and they're all positive. Like, all the stories with these soldiers. Whoa. All right. Cool. All right. I'm okay, guys. <laughs> Woo. That really broke my train of thought. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay, we're good. Hey, we're good. I'm fine. I'm fine. Whew. All positive. Okay. Soldier on. Um, well, wh- so why might that be? And I think uh, getting back to this idea that, that centurions were seen as, as uh, positive in Scripture, and I haven't been a soldier myself, but what I see is that there are parallels between being a disciple of Christ and being a soldier. That's why Paul writes to his fellow soldiers in the faith twice, Because he calls them soldiers. Because you think about what being a soldier demands. It demands allegiance. Allegiance. A soldier knows what it means to commit to a cause. It demands obedience. Um, soldier knows what it means to follow orders. And it also demands sacrifice, right? It demands sacrifice. Uh, today is the 77th anniversary of D-Day. And on D-Day, 150,000 troops landed on the beaches, not knowing whether they would live or die. And so it's possible that all of this, all of this mentality of being a soldier made it easier for Cornelius to give his allegiance to God, to give his all to God, that he wouldn't pursue God halfway. He wouldn't pursue him as a hobby. He would go after him with his whole heart and life. And it's in response to that faithfulness and that seeking that God speaks. God finally speaks to Cornelius. After years of praying, he shows up. An angel of God appears, it says. And he tells him that his prayers have been answered. That God actually holds them in high regard. He says, uh, ascended as a memorial before God remembers. You know, a memorial is about. God remembers those prayers and he treats them with honor. And so he tells him, send to Joppa to get this guy, Peter. And that's exactly what Cornelius does. He sends his men to go down to Joppa uh, on the coast to get Peter. So, where's Peter during all this? Well, the next scene we have is God speaking to Peter on a housetop. He's staying at this house in this town. And God speaks to him on a housetop. He has no idea what is about to happen. It's kind of a crazy story. Let's look at verse 10. It says this. It says, And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who is called Peter, was lodging there. So this is a crazy story. So Peter really goes on a trip, like a literal trip. It doesn't say drugs are involved, okay? This is like a Holy Spirit trip. Like this word trance, it, it's literally the Greek word ecstasis, which translates ecstasy. Okay, so he, he it's a trip, and and the Holy Spirit gives him this vision where he shows him all these animals, right? All these animals that he couldn't eat as a boy growing up. He was told not to eat these animals. Don't do it. Uh, and and uh, and God says, rise, kill, and eat. Peter's like, no, he's been trained. He knows I'm not going there. Even when God says it, it's so ingrained in him. Even when God says it, he can't switch. He refuses. It would be a challenge to his Jewish identity to eat that food. And God says again, what God has made clean, do not call common. Obviously, there's been a wall that was there that is no longer there. And so after that vision ends, Peter is right back, in his, or he's back in his right mind, you know, and at the, at the foot of the house, at the stairs, there's two guys waiting for him to take him to Cornelius. And it says that Peter's basically at a loss. He's like, what is going on? I don't understand what's going on here. And so he goes confused. But I ever wonder, like, some things, sometimes things seem too good to be true, Right? Like when God puts something good in our lives, something positive, sometimes it feels too good to be true. Um, I don't want to get, you know, too gushy, but I felt that way when we got called to Blaine. I was like, Blaine is a great town. This feels too good to be true, to be able to pastor a church in Blaine, a quiet little seaside town. I was like, God, are you sure you don't want me in, like, downtown Seattle? Are you sure you don't want me somewhere, like, really tough? You know, it's like, and again, God said, no, like, I want you here in Blaine. And look, I'm even giving you a Starbucks so that you'll stay here <laughs> in Blaine. <laughs> and so, but we've seen that, like, as we, you know, we've taken a step and then we've seen other people move to Blaine and come to Blaine. Like, God is, God's at work and he's adding piece by piece. And so I wonder if Peter thought, God, what are you doing? Like, is this for real? this is this big change that you've done is that for real and you see what we see in scripture is that God reveals his truth a piece at a time you know he doesn't it's 16, 000, 16, 000, 1600 years of writing in between the the, the old testament genesis and revelation that's sixteen hundred years where the bible was written and and like God revealed his truth in this bit by bit fashion and so here, God shows Peter something has changed. Something's changed. And he was talking about the food restrictions of the Old Covenant. The, he's telling him to go non-kosher. You know? So for the bacon lovers here, this is your favorite passage in Scripture. He tells him to go non-kosher. Um, and, but the point is not just the food, right? The point is who's waiting for him the bottom of the stairs something changed and it's all because of Jesus it's all because of Jesus Jesus broke something and if you want a long form explanation of what Jesus broke you can read the book of Romans and read it slow because it is thick but there are two sections of the book of Romans that give us a clear picture of what Jesus did and I just want to read First is in Romans 8 and it says this it says spirit we had no power to stay within the fence the the old law could not keep us in the fence we actually needed someone to save us from that and that person is God the son Jesus is he says the old covenant was weak it couldn't conform us to God's image It could just tell us what we could do and what we couldn't do. It wasn't able to save anyone because no one was able to keep the law. We actually needed Jesus, and we need the Holy Spirit in order to live out what God wants us to live. And so Jesus set us free. He set us free from our failures of continuing to go outside the fence. And this is so thick in the New Testament. Hebrews 8 calls the Old Covenant obsolete. It's like a fax machine, you know? It's like, we don't use those today. We don't need to, right? It, it was helpful at one point, you know, 1990. It's not very helpful anymore, uh, unless it's in a museum somewhere, and you, you like old technology, right? And that doesn't dismiss the Old Testament. But what Scripture teaches is that now the law is written on our hearts. Now we're actually able to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish and live the life that God wants us to live. And he gave us, Jesus, this model of how we're supposed to live. And we have a new covenant in Jesus. If we believe in him, we're set free from the old law of sin and death, and we're able to live now in the Spirit, which is freedom. And so what does this mean for Cornelius, an outsider? This is what Paul says uh, later on in Romans 10. He says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him, says for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All, all, everyone. That's who the gospel is for. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. There is no people group. There is no social group that has a leg up. Everyone has the same opportunity. And it says that God will bestow his riches on everyone who calls his name. That might not mean literal riches, but it means spiritual riches. Everyone who believes in Jesus and gives their allegiance to him will be saved. And so when Peter arrives at Cornelius' house, a whole bunch of outsiders are waiting for him. Uh, it says that Cornelius gathered together his close family, his circle, family and friends, everyone who wanted to hear what Peter had to say. And Peter shares his his witness, his story of walking with Jesus, the in the good news. And it says this: It says, as he was speaking. says, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And the four words that I want you to hear is that God shows no partiality. This is God's word. God shows no partiality. And I think it's also telling that he says, he talks about people in every nation. He doesn't talk about every nation, right? He says anyone in any nation can come to, for us today, we need to understand that God looks at people, not nations, alright? God cares more about how you are loving your neighborhood and the people around you than whether or not we live in a Christian nation or not, right? God cares way more about People, and it's about you, you fearing the Lord and you doing the right thing and it's about loving your neighbors and sharing Jesus with them that is ultimately God's will for us N- know that God cares more about people than about nations and he wants you to as well and here's another challenge with this passage though Okay, so God, so God tears down the walls, okay? Does that mean that there's no longer insiders and outsiders? Well, not exactly, right? And this is my point today. This is my point today. In Jesus, God replaces the wall with a door and invites everyone inside. All right, so that is it. There is still... A wall. It's just that it, or there's, there's still something there, but it's that Jesus is the door. And in order to enter into his kingdom, you have to go through the door of Jesus. And scripture makes this really clear. Jesus didn't come to just say whatever we think is right. He came to show us what was right. He came to show us that he is who he said he is. And Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he's put a, God has put a door in front of each of us, and he's called Jesus. And we're all invited to enter in. And it's our choice whether or not the door. But the good news is that everyone, anywhere, anytime, is invited. Everyone is invited to come just as they are through the door where God changes them. See, we entered the door, we come as we are, but we don't stay as we are. God, as soon as you enter that door God is constantly changing you day after day after day as you walk in the spirit once you enter in God never stops working on you he never abandons you and he pours out more and more of his spirit on your life I want to end with this today this is where Jesus talks about himself as the door he says I am the door if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus is saying there's life on the other side of the door. There's the life that I want you to have on the other side of that door. There is pasture. What is pasture? It's provision, it's life, it's community. It's all of those things. It's fruitfulness and fulfillment. On the outside, there's a thief. On the outside, there's death. On the outside, there's the enemy of our soul. There's hurt, there's pain, there's confusion, there's suffering, and there's death. But on the inside of the door, there is life. And that's the life that Jesus offers. So as we close today, I just want to ask you, as you... Spend some time with God. We're going to take communion here in a minute. But just ask yourself, have you opened that door? Have you opened that door? Have you entered into relationship with Jesus? Have you experienced that fruit, that pasture in your life? Because what scripture says is that Jesus is the door, the door of the new covenant that's available to anyone, anytime. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm thankful that you are the door. I'm thankful that that there is a door, God, that we aren't separated from you, but that you are available to us and you made yourself available to us, even dying on a cross, so that our failures, our shame, our sin could all be wiped away. It could all be forgiven. And I thank you that you extend and open that door to us in grace you have done everything to not make it hard to find, but to put it right out in front of us, God. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to enter in. Lord, I pray that you would shape us.
1: you come to the end of yourself do you thirst for a drink from the well Jesus is calling you don't come to
0: So let's take the bread and remember that this morning, that this represents that new...